dog. Holy shit, I didn't even notice the hot dog. <laughs> It's August 16, 2023, and this is Rare Encounter, encounter number 158. And driving to England in 16 days, I'm Abel Kirby. And casting Bigby's grasping hand on myself, I'm Cold Acid. Oh man, what's that hand grasping? Bigby's grasping. Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> uh, I've been I've been all I my my opening, I have to bring this up first. This drive from uh, Ghana to England? Yeah, that that sounds fucking wild. This is a story I came across on Twitter, and and uh, it was just awesome. These guys from, uh, and I guess they do this sometimes. It's called the Accra to London, which I, I guess that's a town in Ghana. I'm not familiar with the geography, but they had thirteen yeah, people. Yeah, it's the capital. Thirteen people climbed into uh, a bunch of cars, including a Ford uh, Raptor, Mercedes. They had a Toyota Toyota Land Cruisers. V8, it says. I'm wondering if Land Cruisers means there's two of them. Uh, and, I think uh, it's a typo. Yeah. And anyway, they departed, and the, I put the route inside my show notes. They actually took a drive over to the west coast of Africa, and they basically drove it all the way up. They crossed now, into what I, Spain. What I, want to know, what I want to know is, how the fuck did they drive across the gates of uh, Gibraltar? Yeah, I, the Strait of Gibraltar. Right? I mean, mean, like, I mean, you're going from Wait, Africa to to Spain. You can't just drive across the water there. It's the Strait of Gibraltar, not the Gates of Gibraltar. Yes, the the Strait, <laughs> the Strait of Gibraltar, the Gates of Hercules. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm glad I, you knew what I meant, even if I didn't know what I was saying. We. We are not clear on <laughs> like that. I like what Serpent said. You see what Serpent said in the chat? They dukes of hazard. They dukes of hazard. Nice. No, somehow they crossed Them that. Them and boys are going to be in a lot of trouble with the sheriff. Yeah. So they, I assume a fairy of some sort. I don't know. Maybe a fairy showed up and waved a magic wand. Then they got into Spain. They took it up through France. Um, then Monaco. Crossed, yep. They ended up crossing into uh, London, I believe, by the Channel. I think that's where it is. It's not clear on the map if they took a ferry or they took the uh, that tunnel that runs under the uh, the channel there. But um, it's just an awesome story. You know, these guys just wanted to go on a tour. I guess a lot of them had experience doing extreme tourism before. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, something they were suited for. I don't know how extreme oh, driving uh, a car across uh, a couple countries is, but some of those, I, I guess, get get kind of nasty i'm not sure i would be able to drive a car through uh, uh so many african apparently territories there's a tunnel there's a tunnel whoa no, wait hold on there there's discussion for a tunnel across the strait of gibraltar gibraltar but i don't think there actually is a, a tunnel yet there seems to be just lots of talks lots of talks lots of talks yeah i'm pretty sure there's not a tunnel if there is i will both stand corrected and be surprised <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's my feel good they did 16 days 16 days is what it took and uh the total distance i put that in there because i know you were driving a lot cold uh lately this was ten thousand kilometers was the, and i uh, would the drive ten thousand kilometers it, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite so well just for fish and chips and being beat up in my own city okay <laughs> 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 um 
Yeah, that was basically it. Uh, I wanted to leave with that. It was something I found on Twitter, and I've been following some guys from Ghana on, on Twitter lately, and uh, there's there's some interesting stuff going on down there in the social media realm. So, anyway, maybe there'll be more reports from that in the future. But I do want to start with... I, I want to start with the real news eventually, but uh, uh, let's get to, to some drinks here. I heard you open something. Yes, yes. I have a lime-flavored... Huh? Natural flavor soda. Not a Haritos? Uh, that is a Haritos. Haritos! Mm, there we go. I've got a uh, Corona Extra <laughs> in a big nice. can. Yeah. I've I've been drinking these lately mostly because I don't... I used to drink a lot of Budweiser and I don't drink any anymore. Corona's okay. The problem is you always have to order it without lime. Half the time they give you a lime anyway. Very irritating. Fuckers. Mm. Yeah, so how you been? Um, many people may not know, so I'm going to preface this. I realize I just asked you a question, but I want to put some background first. Uh, we had an episode that we recorded together uh, for last week, but that didn't get posted. So I don't think everyone understands the full situation. But since the last time we, uh, uh, we had something posted on the feed, you have uh, driven all the way to the U.S. of A., um, we did a podcast together, hung out, and then you drove all the way back. So I wanted to check in. How's how's everything been going since you got back? Well, my ass isn't as sore as it was uh, for the drive back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a but long yeah, one. We, I mean, you know? we did we did two episodes while I was in Indianapolis. We just didn't get the last one out because oh, yeah. I got home. I got home on the on the holiday Monday after after Gen Con. And I just pretty much passed right the fuck out. I'm, and then I, Tuesday was so busy running around dealing with all the stuff that had been let simmering uh, while I was out of the country. Oh no! That I didn't get a chance to do much more than a cursory listen of uh, of the uh, draft that you produced of the episode. Yep. I figure we'll do so that. So we just didn't. We just did not get the chance to do our usual post production. Yeah, I I think we'll do uh, two posts tonight. We'll we'll just have to knock them both out. It'll it'll be fine. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. I've been living in hotels and stuff for the last two weeks, and I am just sick of it. I'm back home. I got my square pillow, and uh, nice. You know, it's just the comforts of that. I mean, I had I've had this thing for a while, and it's I'm really fixated on it. I bought this couch like in 2005 so i don't know how many years ago that is but it came with these pillows these square pillows and they're fantastic they're the best like have a pillow in bed and you're playing reading something or you're um uh working on your phone or something like that it's just they're firm and the shape is perfect and what you realize when you're in a hotel for two weeks is that all the pillows suck i actually i actually have something to say on this first of all First of all, the hotel where my brother and I stayed for Gen Con, those pillows are fucking superior to the ones I hear at home. Oh. And they are square pillows. Okay, and no. And there's like six of them on the bed. <laughs> yes! The I... Every time I see the commercial for that my pillow guy, uh, what's his name? I can't, I can't even remember it. All I can think of is his pillow ain't got nothing on my pillow. Because he doesn't make a square one. His name is Mike Pillow Guy. Mike Pillow Guy. Mike Pillow Guy makes, like, f fluffy pillows for, I don't know, grandma or something. They don't make a man's pillow, which is a square pillow. Well, I, I mean, I don't mind the rectangular pillows 
it's, I mean, like a rectangular pillow is a much better one to hug in bed than a square pillow. I don't know. The square pillow is pretty good, man. It's. It, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. The, the square pillows don't tend to have uh, sexy pillow covers. Okay, this square pillow has a. I think here's the secret sauce to it. It's the corners of it. It's it's um, it has um. I don't know what you call it. It's like a piece of material, like on a couch cushion. Sometimes they have a um, like a bead or a string around the top of it that kind of. Uh, it's so hard to describe. I don't have the word. It's like a cord that runs around the perimeter, and they've one on the top and bottom. And if you're playing on your phone or something in bed, the phone sits on the cord and doesn't slide off. Are Are you talking like the piping they have on like the dress pants in like military and police <laughs> uniforms? The piping? <laughs> What's the piping? I think that's what they call it. Like the, you know the the little the little like red stripe where it's where it's not like just flat it's actually like a piece of a piece of red cloth that's like folded over and stitched into the steam yeah okay i know what you mean yeah that's exactly what it is it's it's a cord it's a cord that's sewed into it and uh okay i've se- i've seen i've seen ones where it's like the piping i've seen ones where it's like a couple of twisted cords that that are stitched in all along the edge as well. Mm-hmm. But those those I don't see as often. So this this is a discontinued couch I bought. I should finish I should mention in the story. I bought it from a warehouse. Couch. I bought it from a warehouse that um <clears throat> that dealt in like ex- expired food and uh damaged goods. So if you know you're you're okay. So your couch is 18 years old and damaged goods. It is. It's ready to star in porn. <laughs> it is. No, but I, what I'm trying to get to is this pillow design needs to be uh, put out there. It, it's once you have it, it's absolutely revolutionary, and and no one's making it. It's there's only one I kind of ever seen it. I got it from this weird couch I bought in in New England. So anyway. That's all I have to say about that. Square pillow yeah, your, is best your pillow. Por- your porn couch and its square pillows. <laughs> porn couch and the square pillow. Hey, that sounds like my uh, my Adventure Time story. <laughs> porn couch and the square pillow. Ow. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, I've got the news, the real news. You want to start with that? Uh, do we have to? I think we have to start with the furry attack. Yes! Okay, yes, we do have to start with the furry attack. All right, so this was... Hold on, hold on, no, 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 you're not saying it right. The furry mauling. The furry mauling, where... Yes, they're furries, after all. This was the Sunset Beach fur meat. Uh, This made the news a couple days ago, the 15th. Oh, that was yesterday. That was yesterday. There was a fight that broke out on the beach between a dude and a furry. And the furry has a megaphone in his hand, and he smacks the guy in the forehead. He knocks him him in the noggin and knocks him on the ground. It's pretty pretty, uh, solid hit by this guy. But um, have you seen the photos? Yeah, I saw the photos. I grabbed one for the notes. Okay, and then I have I have the more important question to ask. Did you see the video? No, I did not see oh the video. Oh my god. Okay. Please up. tell me you have you have clips. Buckle up, boys. Here we go. 43 seconds for oh, attack. Shit. Here we go. Chill out. 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 Chill out.
The guy screaming. I just got to cut in here. The guy screaming is the guy who got hit in the forehead he's, by the yeah, first. He sounds like a fucking girl. He what sounds like fuck? Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so he's going on and on. He's just on the ground, <laughs> um, screaming. And so, this is what furries do to you. Oh yeah, obviously, furry is uh, a hell of a drug. Furry is a hell of a drug, man. I also, I of course, I got the ISOs. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple. I got a couple ISOs. Yeah, he had some other uh, sounds he was making. <laughs> and then this is one. I was. I played this a few times. I was doing the clips for this. I kept playing it over and over. I said, "What the hell is this guy saying?" And so I want to pose this to you, uh, to you, Cold, and and also to the guys in chat. Uh, people uh, go to rareencounter.net and find our details. You can get in the chat, and talk back to us. I want to know what you think this guy is saying in this clip. Uh, here, here it is. I'll play it again. Why am I the one who grabbed his crotch? What? I think that might be it. Now I can't unhear that. Oh man! Or got his crotch? Got the crotch? He got the crotch. No. I don't want the crotch. You can have it. <laughs> Nobody wants the furry's crotch except another furry. So this this is a weird situation where I'm looking at the furry, the the guy on the ground is like, I don't know, it looks like the furry kind of got the upper hand here. Oh, he does something stupid, though. If you watch the video, the guy who yeah. hit him, he takes his mask off. He's in the fursuit, like no one knows who he is. And then he takes the head off. Why would you do that? You could have ran away. Now he's going to go to jail. I'm sorry. Now he's going to go to the pound. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have to put him down. Oh no! <laughs> so there's the real news, folks. There we go. I think the guy actually was a furry because apparently he had registered and then was like kicked oh. out or something. You know, they had to check his dog tags. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh, thank you, Reaper. I just learned something by mis the, by mistake. If you click the X button in Reaper while you're recording, it says, I'm not going to close. You're still recording and politely declines to close. Oh, how nice. <laughs> Reaper's so nice. Yeah, so I, I almost accidentally closed the recording and it would let me. Oh, nice. fuck. You know what? I, ju I just realized I didn't have the backup recorder going. Oh, no. Not the backup so, recorder. Well, now I do. So now you can uh, accidentally close Reaper. No, I'll, I'll <laughs> stick to leaving it open. Thank you. That'd uh, be best. So let's see. We got a couple things. I know, I think maybe in the second half of the show, we should do this LK99 update. I think that's going to yeah, be some uh, solid our, talk. I mean, like, yeah, our, our like, serious news is second half of show, just like all the weird shit is second half of show to no agenda, right? Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, I do have this other thing, this American bar in Iceland. What? What? I put it in my notes. It's just got some pictures. It's a, it's a little bit of a human interest Yeah, story. I saw the pictures. So uh, this is AmericanBar.is is the website. It is a just a regular regular place, but it's an American-themed bar in Iceland. 
Um, they have these all over the world. Whenever I see one, I like to go in. I've been to one. Well, it wasn't a bar, really. I went to an American-themed amusement park in uh, France uh, and reported on, on the show. That was a lot of fun. I'll post the link. America land! <laughs> it was called, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was like Alamo-themed or something. And it had, at the time, it had a bunch of skeletons, but it was all, you know, it was horses and cowboys and shooting Indians, which was kind of interesting to see that they could still so, do so that in I, France. In these photos, I like their wall art. Yeah, that's the main thing I wanted like the, to talk the about. Mount, the Mount Rushmore blending into a giant football with cowboys on it over top of the Hollywood sign with an eagle posing by a baseball. Yes, there's a hot dog. And a hot dog. A hot dog. Holy <laughs> shit, I didn't even notice the hot dog. <laughs> uh, stomp that. The, uh, there's also a spaceman. There's Iwo Jima ba baked into that. There's a Statue of Liberty's arm coming out of a hamburger. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. So there's another one that I saw in your notes. You had some sort of like, what the fuck is? Well, let me go through this. Let me go through them. I mean, I mean, go through. I know what it is. It's it's very simple. What that picture was. It's Jack Nicholson. Well, I okay, okay. I was gonna talk about these other pictures first, but because we brought it, yeah. Look at this. Um, and this one I didn't get from the article. This one I got off from a Google. Um, review or photo someone posted on the Google page for the um, for the restaurant. There's a brick wall, and painted faintly on the brick wall is Jack Nicholson with a mustache, it, it doing like this. Here's Johnny coming through the door on uh, on The Shining. I'm not sure that actually is the mustache or just shading of the area under his nose. No, it's a mustache. That's, that's you sure? And I want to know why. Yeah, and and, and actually, I'm a, I just want to know why Jack Nicholson has a mustache in this. No, I've I've blown it up. I've blown it up. That is not a mustache. It looks like that when it's small because of the color of the bricks it's themselves that are there. <sighs> Ruining everything. Okay, I'm. Of course, that's my job. Jeez. So I was going to talk about Jack Nicholson looks better in a must with a mustache. But I guess we, we can't talk about that. Oh, well. Jack, Jack Nicholson looks better on brick than in person. <laughs> you thought Stone Cold Steve Austin was Stone Cold. Wait till you have <laughs> brick, bricks. I don't know. I, I've lost it. I've lost Jack my... Brickleston. <laughs> Jack Brickleston. <laughs> yes, Jack Brickleston. <laughs> He's Jack Nicholson with a handsome mustache. Jack Brickleson. <laughs> they also have American football uh, helmets decorating the walls. And, of course, they have the um, jerseys of a couple famous players, including Tom Brady. So, Of course, because <laughs> Tom Brady is football. TB12, yeah. <laughs> Jack Brickleson. And uh, the bathroom has license plates from many different states. And uh, I see New York and a bunch of things. I see the New Hampshire plate pretty prominently. The... Um, the cool thing about this that I, I, I just wanted to uh, point out there's some repeats in here because I was going through looking for some. and I Of the license plates themselves or just the states? Just the states. The license plates aren't repeated, but oh, well, there's some cool ones. I like the Montana. You know, it's a good uh, survey. They have an old Ohio. I'm sorry. Wait, that's a that's a not so old Ohio plate. Interdasting. 
Somebody must have brought their plates with them. Yep, but you can see the buttons on the back of the toilet, which I believe are the flush buttons. Those, uh, the big square, little square. I've seen those in Europe. That's those are kind of a uh, trip. And yeah, that's that kind. That's kind of like a weird version of what we have on our toilets at work. Uh, in the office where I work on, we've got like these toilets that have alternate flush buttons depending on if you're doing one or two. Yep. They yeah. have they have a uh, hand dryer which is over the toilet. That's a little weird. That is a little weird. And I wanted to how small is that bath? How small is that wash? No, I'm sure they could have at least put it over top of the soap dispenser because that looks far enough from the toilet to be usable. But yeah, yeah the the hand dryer. What you fucking expect it to like sit back down on the shitter to dry your hands or something? <laughs> we had a uh, bathroom or uh, washroom renovation uh, when I worked in Denver and and uh, one of the facility washrooms they renovated it. They did a bunch of stupid things, like they took out one of the urinals to put in, <laughs> to uh, put in another stall when it wasn't needed, and whatever. Anyway, um, they redid the sinks with these automatic. You put your hands under the the faucet, and the water turns on. And they also had the automatic uh, soap dispenser, where it puts pre foamed soap um, into your right into your hand when you put it under. But they put those fixtures too close to each other. <laughs> And so Uh-oh. you put your hands under to wash your hands and would pump soap into it. And you try and rinse your hands off. It would just keep pumping soap on your hand. You're never done. <laughs> you, you, you don't have you. You don't have enough lather on those hands. It's like rolling the boulder up the hill. You'll never get out of there. <laughs> Sisyphus's bathroom. <laughs> Sisyphus's bathroom. It was fantastic. Um, if you're if you think stuff like that is hilarious, that it was fantastic. But. I f- I would find it annoying having to deal with it, but at the same time, I would find it hilarious. Both both having to deal with it and my own frustration with dealing <laughs> with that. When something like that happened, like the first time it happened to me, I was in there and it just squirts soap on your hand. You're you're almost clean and squirts more soap on. It does it two or three <laughs> times in a row, and it's just. I was just laughing my ass off at this and how stupid I it was. would be too. <laughs> I'm laughing my ass off just thinking about it. All right, so that was that was mostly what I wanted to talk about. Uh, Brickelson, the um, <laughs> the menu. I was hoping the menu would have novelty names for stuff, and they didn't. So, Aww. yeah, little little sad about that one. No freedom burger. Yeah, I wanted the freedom burger, the you know Reagan fries or something. The trickle down <laughs> tart, fr- trickle down tartar sauce. <laughs> Tr- trickle down soda. <laughs> Well, what do you got for the show? Do you got a before before we hit I, the science stuff? Do you got anything to slip in? Because I could do a couple. Oh more yeah, things. I do. Uh, okay, is economics? Do you consider that science or not? Um, only Austrian economics. They, I, the rest they call of, it the because yeah, the they call the rest it the rest dismal bullshit. science, right? Well, Austrian economics, I think, is a science, and everything else is a bullshit. Okay, well then I might put this before we do the before we do the science <laughs> uh, but there is there is something did you know that before just before gen con there was like a huge heist there i didn't know that until afterwards i didn't know until yesterday but apparently on the day before the convention started on the wednesday a couple of guys uh just walked in with a pallet lifter and walked out with a Pallet worth of magic of magic cards worth three hundred thousand dollars. What? 
Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Just walked in, walked out. Jeez. And so the the Indianapolis police uh, have named a couple of people uh, strong persons of interest. And these these people who've been named actually created their own card game that they'd released in I think it said 2017. 20 kickstarted in 2015 and played at Gen Con in 2017. Cool. Uh, so these got they created a game called Castle Assault, which describes itself as tower defense meets tactical strategy. Mm. And so these guys, uh, Andrew Pearson, Guillaume, and Thomas J. Dunbar, if you know these guys, contact the IMPD. Uh, and before, but before you do that, see if you can buy their games. Just so, just so you can say that, yeah, you have the game made by the guys who stole the magic cards. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Guys. So apparently, apparently, like the news about this uh, came out on the fourth originally, hmm. right? And that was that was the Friday of the convention. I didn't not I didn't hear about this there or anywhere until yesterday on the radio. There was a mention about it on on the afternoon drive I listened to, and uh, yeah, it's like holy shit! I didn't expect to hear Gen Con and Heist in the same sentence on Canadian radio. What's this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, like they wow. must have thought you did it. No, they didn't think I did it. Otherwise, they would have had my name in the article. So these guys, uh, the shades, good call on the shades. Um, I think a furry mask would have been better. But you got to keep it on. furries at Gen Con. Yep. I did see furries at Gen Con. Uh, I don't think we talked about it on the last episode, but the Lunar Lander made out of balloons was fantastic i was that was pretty awesome i, was, I should have taken a picture of it oh i took pictures of that i even excellent i, I especially took pictures of the parabolic reflector antennas made out of balloons nice <laughs> that was a first for me um there's something special about seeing those modeled up and that was that was pretty cool the the uh area where they had all the where they had like all these old cards from various different games crafted into like skyscrapers and hearts and everything. That was pretty cool too. Oh uh, yeah. I like that one also. Mm. What was it? Card Halla? Card Halla? I don't know. I don't know. Is that what it was called? I think that's what it was called. It's a good name for it. Card Halla. Yeah. Hmm. Card Hall A. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So these guys are tapping mana all day now. Tapping mana in Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, here's a, here's the question: How do you unload? How do you fence uh, a pallet's worth of magic cards? Well, you, uh, you discard them and then you uh, use one of those cards to let you take them back out of the discard pile. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name. Okay, I suck at magic. <laughs> oh, uh, someone will I. Someone will tell me what that is. I can't remember the name of the damn card. Anyway. Yeah, um, but yeah, here, here's it. Like, it didn't matter if they wore sunglasses or anything because these guys were wearing their own game merch. <laughs> yep. Like, how, how if you're going to do some shit like this, at least wear somebody else's merch, right? Well, maybe they did. Could be. Maybe they did. 
Yeah. It's like I, I was wearing a mask of my own face. It could have been anyone under me there. <laughs> anyone pretending to me. Jeez. Get it together. Yeah, but I mean, like, we're some wizards of the coast. Or just to, just to stir shit up, Avalon Hill garb, right? Because Avalon Hill and wizards are both owned by Hasbro. Mm. Get, get the divisions fighting with each other. Hey, you stole you stole their you stole their magic cards. No, we didn't. So their game is called Castle Assault, and then they assaulted the castle. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Clever, huh? So apparently, apparently that Disney Lorcana card game that was advertised everywhere during Gen Con is is like apparently super popular. People were people were queuing up for like half a day to give it a play, right, at Gen Con and stuff. And that wasn't touched at all. Just the magic cards. Hmm. I saw a game that I was interested in. Uh, it was a Smurfs, Smurfs game. I yes, guess. you saw the Smurfs game too? Yeah, and you've got to, like, rebuild the Smurf village before Gargamel comes back and fucks you up. Yeah, Smurfs Hidden Village. It's a, And what caught my eye on it was it was a cooperative game, and I'm a fan of those kinds of games. Because... Um, you can't you can't hide a bad one by making it just competitive or uh, or you know putting some flashy stuff together. It has to actually be fun to make a cooperative game work. Yeah. Where you can have a bad battle game like that's unbalanced or there's too many rules and there's still going to be some nerds who play it, right? There's still going to be people who just they're into that no matter how awkward or stupid it is. But cooperative games, you don't it's harder to make a bad one. I, that's just my opinion, I guess, but my unlearned opinion. Uh, uh, no, you can definitely make bad cooperative games. But yeah, but you can't get away with it. They're uh, obviously bad. Okay, yeah. Okay, fair. Because I think people play bad, um, like tabletop battle games, like that. They just I. I'm not going to give an example because I'm going to piss a lot of people off. But there's some which I just. So seem, even though the like game's not out conceived. until next year. Even though the game's not out until next year, it has a uh, it has a page on the Board Game Geek database already. And it has a description. In the Smurfs Hidden Village, players are Smurfs who are tasked with rebuilding the Mushroom Village from scratch following the evil sorcerer Gargamel's latest scheme. To succeed, you need to work together as a team, collecting resources, building inventions, and locating missing Smurfs to help rebuild Mushroom Houses. Each Smurf has a unique set of skills that you must use strategically to outsmart Gargamel and his cat Azrael. Yep, and I got some pins and stuff from it too. Uh, they had they had um, uh, swag. I only got one pin, and that was from the Discami booth because I bought a whole bunch of uh, Bessem Fourth Edition stuff. One of which I didn't realize I already had. So now I have I have a second copy of Big Eyes Small Mouth Fourth Edition. <laughs> Big Eyes Small Mouth. Uh, I did a little bit of research on that. I tried to watch a YouTube tutorial on how to play the game, and the video I was just watching. He's going on and on and on. I looked; it was a three-hour video. So I it's did, a role-playing game. I mean, that's kind of to be expected. And I and I'm going through, and he's just going on and on, and he's and he's still like, and here's the stuff you have to do before you play. So here's all the planning you're gonna do before you start. And it's just now we're 20 minutes in, and we didn't get to even how to what what am I gonna play? I don't even know what it is yet. 
So Okay, part of the reason for that is because tri the TriStat system, which Bessem is based on, is a point buy system, like GURPS. It's not a it's not a class and level system like D and D, and so you actually really do have to spend a bunch of time early on trying to trying to figure out like what's what idea do you have for your character? How are you going to build your character uh, to match that? Right, Think, things like that. It's not as in depth as some other games. I could mention like a certain Warhammer 40k tabletop <laughs> RPG where you could actually die before you leave character creation. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I believe that I believe that you can also have that happen to you with uh, Traveler when doing character creation in Traveler because it is also ridiculously in depth. <laughs> Jeez, my character is stillborn, the grave warmer. <laughs> no, no, it's like it's like your character your character, like before the game starts, like there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do to establish your character's backstory, and you can't just like write it out like you would do in DD where it's like uh, I, I'm playing Grognar, the dwarf barbarian, and he he is like the greatest, mightiest, first level dwarf barbarian from the Undermountain. He'll do anything right? for mutton, right? for some fresh and, mutton. Right? And like you've got like this huge fucking epic backstory for, for a level one character who is just meeting the rest of the party in a bar because the DM is just as new as the players, <laughs> right? Hey, I, I'm a fan I of bar starts. I might be speaking from experience here, I, right? I love the bar start. I mean, it's, that's a, such a classic. You start the it tavern. Is, yeah, it's it, it's a cliche it's at this perfect. point. <laughs> uh, Four podcasters meet in a in a studio. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, yeah these these other games like these well these other like more complex games where you actually. You have a lot more freedom with what you can do with the character, but at the same time, at the same time, it means that you actually have to put in a bunch of time and effort during character creation that you wouldn't have to do with like D&D. And then you've got like the far end of the spectrum where the games are pretty much designed for people who, who are functional autists and nobody else like Traveler and that 40k RPG where you could roll up that uh, in your character's past before you complete character creation, your character has died, start over. <laughs> I want to I break in. Usually we do Booster Grimms in a second, but there's one I think we have to read right now. It just came in. Uh, 33,333 sats from Carolyn. And Carolyn Ooh. says... I had a great time at Gen Con, and what a fun show. Remember to talk about the Space Cheese game. That was awesome. Yes, Thanks, Space Carolyn. Cheese! <laughs> and it was great. Uh, Carplanes was, was actually at Gen Con, too, and we got to hang out, and uh, we did a podcast, which you may not have heard yet. Maybe maybe if you listen to these in order, you'll hear it first, but... The, maybe, uh, maybe if they maybe if they were listening to our stream late Saturday night <laughs> uh, during Gen Con for whatever reason. Yeah, unlikely many people heard that, but it'll be posted on the feed uh, 
uh, right before this show gets posted. But yeah, Space Cheese, that was the Space Battleship uh, Bridge Simulator. Yeah, and they had they had stuff labeled Space Cheese outside the room. Yes, it was great. They had uh, Space Cheese graphics. They actually had Space Cheese props. Yep. And Delicious Space Cheese, the chosen of all Neptunians. <laughs> yeah, I got a picture of that somewhere. I took a bunch of pictures of Gen Con. I definitely got pictures of the Space Cheese. I just have to pull them up. I'm not going to do it now. I couldn't share it even yeah. if I even if I found it. I know where my pictures are that I put up. So, Carolyn, thanks for the boostogram, and uh, I think that's the only one we had. This I, I have a bunch of these coming in from this um, V for V music stuff. Suddenly, all uh, they're coming from boostogram ball and a bunch of other places. So, I've got to follow up on that. But uh, this, this yeah, is the, the only rare the encounter. Previous, the previous one that we have for rare encounter was from Boobery just near the end of uh, the live of episode 155. Oh, that was so long ago. I know. It feels like an eternity. Yeah. But it was only three weeks. Jeez. Oh, right. Um, we've got some... I could do... Let me do podcasts. We'll call that the, the midpoint. And then... Uh, well, I got some... I got something special right after that. We could do potato news. How about that? All right, and then we go into econ- economics and science. Yep. All right, real quick podcast, Hog Story, hosted by uh, uh, Carolyn and John. Hog Story 364, Stone Cone Killer uh, is their latest episode. Behind the Schemes, that's Boobery and Lavish, had episode 165, Meet and Beat, and I think they had a special guest on. Yeah, they had they had a former member of Gore, didn't they? <laughs> Finally, and I didn't get to hear that yet, but I could just imagine the uh, the amount of jizz. I just want to know, boobs, did you hit the ceiling? That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Grumpy Old Ben's uh, had episode two thirty one AI power, uh, Angry Tech News uh, number seventy two, unpatchable substrate. Uh, that's just with Ryan Bemrose. And I should say Grumpy Old Ben's is Ryan Bemrose and Darren O'Neill. Bowl after bowl, uh, they did episode 263. A couch or a camera? Interesting. We were, we were talking about couches earlier. Uh, and Dad's were, anim- the porn couch. <laughs> the porn couch with the square pillow. Your porn couch. My porn <laughs> with couch. With the square pillow, yeah. Daddy, can I have the porn couch with the square pillow? No. No. That's your mama's couch. Dad's anime podcast <laughs> at episode 120. Mew recommends some surprisingly good anime, semicolon, poor localizations versus the extremely rare good localizations. It's <sighs> true. And that's uh, Dad from Shitposter Club, Cool Boy Mew, and Full Metal doing their anime The best stuff. localizations are unlocalized, just translated. Okay. You want to do something first uh, before I do mine so I can have a chance to... To stop talking for a second. Uh, what should you do economics first? Then no, I'll do potato. I, I've, you want to do potato first? I, yeah, I've, I had this all queued up and everything. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just give me two seconds. All right, I had to clear my throat. But we need a few good taters. It's potato news. On rare encounter, potatoes. All right, potato. Play that. 
Yeah, it has been. Um, I've got two pieces here. First is potato acne. Have you ever had potato acne, maybe as a teenager? I have potato acne even today. Potato acne? No, no, actually, it's not potato acne. I just have regular acne. (laughs) Maine's potato acne phenomenon, a wet season aftermath. And this is from Potato News Today. They um, are deviating a little. Usually we get our stuff from Potato Pro. But Potato News Today is is what we're looking at today. Uh, This is a, uh, some would say defect, I guess, if you're being... uh, very corporate or uh, uh, factory farm about it, but the little white spots that it can appear on potatoes um, apparently have started appearing on potatoes in uh, crops in Maine. And the Bang- Banger Daily News, which is a funny name for a, a town uh, that's discussing potatoes, since they're sometimes called bangers, get it? And the is um, reporting on this. And so I didn't pull their article, but I have the one from Potato News and I wanted to read a couple couple um, sections from this. I'm just going to summarize. So they have these little white protrusions on the potato, which are they're calling water spots or water scabs, and or lenticels. Lenticels, as was, the scientific name goes. I was, and the, yeah, they look like they look. It looks like a potato covered in whiteheads. Mm. It's pretty gross, which maybe, I guess is why they call it potato acne or smallpox, maybe. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. Potato Mm. smallpox. These, um, they say, are due to a lot of water in the soil. So they, according to Gregory Porter, the distinguished professor of crop ecology and management at the University of Maine, elucidated the mystery behind these enlarged lenticels. And he says, the tubers have adapted to grow below the ground where there is less air available. Okay. And he also okay, says yeah, it makes sense so far. So far so good. When the soil gets saturated, and what he means is saturated with water, there's less oxygen and more water, ding, leading the lenticels to enlarge. And I think that's it. It's kind of a it's kind of a shallow explanation. They just say, Oh, well, there's a lot of water in the soil, so you get these white spots all of a sudden. And yeah, but it doesn't really say it doesn't really doesn't really give you any idea on like why the white spots and why they get bigger like what do they do do they do they like take the water and like take keep the oxygen and spit the hydrogen back out or something who knows it doesn't say anything about that so it sounds like it does say however that they these can become breeding grounds for harmful bacteria and pathogens just like human acne Mm, yeah they gotta pop pop those pimples those potato gotta, pimples. Yeah, got to pop those potato pimples. So, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit. It sounds like you they get a, a wet space between the skin of the potato and the mm, the fruit of the potato. I don't know what you call it. The rest of it. And uh, it could be... The flesh. Yeah, uh, the flesh. And it could be like a little pustule that if you... Um, if you were looking for a place for bacteria to grow, I mean, potatoes can get mold on them and all kinds of bad stuff can happen to them eventually, but you're looking for the most vulnerable place because that's where it's going to, that's where it's going to grow first. Like there's, uh, these little, um, cysts around the potato. I guess that's their concern that you could get something growing in there. It's, I don't, I don't completely follow how that's so much worse than the rest of the flesh of the potato, but okay, sure. That's what they say. So, as the potato community grapples with this phenomena, a silver lining emerges. 
by allowing such potatoes to dry for a few days before storage, their shelf life can be extended. Well, so, there we go. So, so potatoes with acne can last longer so long as you let them dry out before after you take them from the ground, but before you pack them in a bag. Yeah. So this is a little bit underwhelming. Basically, they said, the potato got wet and has water in it, and if you let it dry out, then it goes away. Wow. <laughs> That's my explanation. Fucking, fucking, yeah. PhD level right there, man. <laughs> yeah. I could be a distinguished <laughs> professor of crop ecology and management at the University of Maine. <laughs> you could be. All right. So that was a little uh, – I, I think it's interesting just because of these white spots, and it's a bit of potato phenomenology that is now in your arsenal. As well as in mine. The more you know. We also have a cold read that I, I wanted to do. Um, I was looking at the length. I think it might be short enough we can do the whole read if you're up for it. Sure. Uh, you going to do – You we going to switch every par, every paragraph? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do that. So uh, the, the reason this one caught my eye <laughs> – is just because of the headline. Wow, that was disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I, I thought I was holding down the the mute button, and turns out that uh, that I'd right clicked instead of left clicked on it. Yeah, do your coke off the air. The wow factor and the reality of mobile automated potato cleaning is the title of this article, uh, published in late July by the Lockwood Manufacturing Team, which I believe is a, a equipment manufacturer that does potato equipment. So essentially, this this article is uh, is a press release, or really, what what's the term they they use on No Agenda? Native ad. Native advertising. That's right. So we we acknowledge that it is, but it's still kind of cool. And 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 there's a part of native ads, or not native ads, but you know, marketing. Marketing material can have valuable information, and part of your job as a marketer is trying to teach people that. that what your products can do and what exists and what's possible. And for something like this, you know, uh, I, I think it's worth reading, even though we realize that it is a native ad. Uh, it's kind of fun, too. So uh, to kick it off, I'll do the first paragraph. All right. <coughs> me, 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 me. <sighs> I, did, I did a line, too. <laughs> if you're convinced the only way your potato field... <laughs> I'm sorry. I got uh, un muted, unmuted. Here we go. If you're convinced the only way your potato field can, year after year, produce so many rocks that they just that they must be reproducing underground, you're not alone. Harvesting rock and debris alongside one's potatoes is a frustrating and expensive reality of production. Until recently, producers haven't had good post-harvest handling options. Operating a picking line is costly, inefficient, and as fewer and fewer people are willing to take on menial piecework, increasingly challengingly, challenging to staff. Shipping direct from field to processor without cleaning means hefty penalties imposed on debris. Cleaning in the yard means paying to move tear from field to yard and back again. Storing without cleaning means paying to store dirt, rocks, and vines, not to mention an increased likelihood of bruising, nicking, skinning, and or heating and rot. There is, however... A better way. In the past 10 years, several companies have come forward with various versions of fully or nearly fully automated potato cleaning lines. Rather than depending on the heavily on human labor, the lines use a series of conveyor belts, vibrating tables, ooh, and air pressure to separate the hardest from debris. 
Well, both positive blowing and negative air sucking versions are available. Negative air technology is less dusty, just as it's easier to clean a house by vacuuming than by blowing dirt out of one door, one's door. It's more effective. In just the past two years, automated potato cleaning lines have been made one new and enormous step forward, full mobility. Contained on a single semi-trailer that can be moved between locations at highway speed, today's diesel-powered telescoping units can be set up and operational right in one's field in as little as 30 minutes. Showing these units off at industry trade shows is a ton of fun. Growers are so wowed by the mobile technology that the most common comment I've heard is, I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't actually seeing it. Separating rocks and debris from clean dirt right in the field offers multiple benefits. In addition to the cost savings and enhanced efficiency, sieving out the garbage on site allows a producer to increase the fertility of a field for future years, potentially opening up marginal land. It also means today's producer has the option to plant potatoes following a corn rotation, since root balls are no longer a concern. Given that automated potato cleaning lines can handle... 3,500 to 5,000 sacks per hour, they tend to give best suit large operations. Return on investment varies largely based on the volume of product going across the conveyors and how much debris needs to be separated from one's tubers. Some farmers who implement this technology report decreasing their picking lines from 35 to 40 people to just three or four. In a case like that, labor savings alone could pay off the machinery in just a couple years. Today's farm consolidation per acre production increases and tight labor and tight labor market mean maximizing efficiency is more vital to farm business success than ever before. Mobile automated potato cleaning lines are just one of the many new efficiency fuse innovations coming soon to a field near you. And this is from Lockwood Manufacturing, uh, at, published in Potato News today, and it includes a photograph of one of these. Uh, one of these machines being pulled around by a tractor trailer mm -hmm. and separating the potatoes from the rocks <laughs> right on site. So there's a couple key phrases in here uh, I thought were pretty interesting. One was the unit of measurement sacks per hour. I did like that. Yeah, potato sacks. Potato sacks per hour. And um, I think there was another one here. Uh, corn, what was it? Root balls. I wasn't sure about root balls, but I think I, I understand uh, intuitively what they're, what they're supposed to be. I'd never thought of root balls as a thing before, though. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's like the root of a plant where the root, the main part of the root is like this, is like this ro rocky or ball-like clump, right? And they they can be kind of annoying to deal with in soil because... Yeah, if they're in there and you don't remove them, well, they get in the way of anything else you'd be planting. And if you do remove them, well, now you've got all these, like, divots throughout your field. So I have a, I have a point of order. Maybe it's more of a question, but isn't a potato a root ball? The potato is not a root ball. Okay. The, root, the potato roots are what comes out of most of the eyes and the potato itself is just a is just like a storage sack for what the potato has plant has sucked out of the earth. Okay, so if I drag one behind my car, it's not a root ball drag race. <clears throat> ah. Okay, yeah, move it on. 
Okay. Anything else to say on that? Uh, no, I have, I'm I'm tubered out. <laughs> okay, we got 360 sats from Carolyn. I'm just reading them as they come in now. I don't know why. Square Pillow Boost. Woo, Square Pillow Boost. Thanks, Carolyn. Yay! Square Pillow Boost. All right, we got to move on. We got a uh, we got yeah, we've another got, topic. We've got we got uh, the one the one thing I've ever seen written by Paul Krugman that <laughs> oh boy might actually be worthwhile. One thing I don't know why yeah. doesn't even matter In how hard. In July you try. 1978, when Paul Krugman was a assistant professor at Yale, he wrote and published a paper called. The Theory of Interstellar Trade. Okay. And this paper is... uh, Well, I'll read out the abstract. This paper extends interplanetary trade theory to an interstellar setting. It is chiefly concerned with the following question. How should interest charges on goods in transit be computed when the goods travel at close to the speed of light? This is a problem because the time taken in transit will appear less to an observer traveling with the goods than to a stationary observer. A solution is de- derived from economic theory, and two useless but true theorems are proved. And so, <clears throat> sorry about that. Uh, so yeah, uh, before he was writing bullshit in the papers, he was writing bullshit in academia. But at least this is amusing bullshit instead of just pathetic. Okay. There's an there's another quote from it which was uh, which was really good uh, that I want to read out. It should be noted that, while the subject of this paper is silly, the analysis actually does make sense. This paper, then, is a serious analysis of a ridiculous subject, which is, of course, the opposite of what is usual in economics. <laughs> yeah, the zing. Zing. I w- <laughs> There's some economic theory that I've been listening to um, of the science fiction nature. Um, I think it was a year. It might, it's a little stale, uh, maybe six months ago. But it was on Bitcoin Audible, the podcast with Guy Swan. And he did a series, I think it's a three-part series on interplanetary um, Bitcoin and the hash horizon and whether Bitcoin would be useful on Mars and what are the inevitable implications of of a Martian colony competing with the hash rate of the of Earth. And... Uh, in it, they present this idea because um, I'll summarize it real fast. There's this idea of the hash horizon, which is set at because a new block is is uh, made every ten minutes. There's sort of a um, and and also the other fact is that the speed of light is uh, finite. Uh, yep. So so there's a hash horizon is a shell that's somewhere between the Earth and Mars where the um all of the hashing is really going to be dominated by the earth and that you can't compete on mars because they're all the you don't have enough time to uh to work on a new block before the next one's minted by someone on earth already and just the nature of it is going to is going to put you perpetually behind you'll never be able to do mining uh for bitcoin on mars and compete for yeah, short, guys of, short of relativistic communications you are not going to be able to use your bitcoins on Mars. You will need a Mars coin instead. <laughs> exactly. And so he goes into this construction where he, he goes, well, now we have this idea of center of hash, which is the average point in the entire hash horizon. And it's near the center of the Earth, probably somewhere be, you know, kicked a little bit uh, towards either the U.S. or China, depending on who you're, 
who who you think is is doing the most hashing right now. But it's sort of inevitable that if you're going to go to Mars, and because the the future will be completely consumed by Bitcoin, uh, the uh, and and it's the only money that will exist. You're going to end up if you're a Martian. Uh, in a revolution where you have to have your own coin, you're gonna have to have your own fork, uh, or be uh, or be subservient to Earth for your entire. And and he goes from there to now. What happens when the aliens, who in their wisdom, you know, have have they either have figured out something similar to Bitcoin, or they have, or we teach them uh, space what's, credits. What's gonna happen when we have space credits? Now we have an equally valid chain, you know. So we have our blockchain, and they have their blockchain. What do we do? What do we do with this thing? And and you're you know, just gonna have you're just gonna have to limit digital currencies to an individual planetary sphere, possibly, but not necessarily including any satellites of that planet. And each planet, even within a single solar system, would have to have its own cryptocurrency. And I could imagine with, like, the gas giants, like, it might be necessary for different clusters of their satellites to have their own uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Mm. But this this isn't dealing with that. This is dealing with, like, uh, shipment of, of physical goods at relativistic speeds, and how that would affect any any interest payments bearing on uh, possession of that product. Mm. Because, I mean, like, the time goes by a lot faster for the person who is uh, shipping the goods than for, than for like, the, anybody observing the shipping of the goods, right? Because, you know, time dilation and all that shit. Mm. I just want to know... and. and- this might be on my mind for a particular reason. When the if you're shipping goods at relativistic speeds, who's responsible for it? The shipper or the receiver? And what if it's uh, not the, in the contract? What what do you do then? I would assume I would assume that as usual the liability would be on the shipper and unless, unless of course the terms of agreement as is often the case with a lot of these like commercial commercial like mainstream uh, shippers, there's some clause limiting their liability. You know, like when you ship something by FedEx and they say like, yeah, if shit happens, we we only owe you up to a hundred bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's how I think that's how it would work. It, it's not like there'd be anything new in that regard with uh, with relativistic shipping. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, ju- just so that you you can ship like your your big uh, your big bunch of like space hash to the fun space, guys on Pluto. My space hash. <laughs> okay, we got. Uh, I'm reading the booster grams as they come in tonight. We got a seventeen thousand seven hundred seventy six. Oh sets. God, I gotta read this one. Say it. I want. I want to read this one. It's from Boobery, and he says two words: furry combat. Finish me! Finish me. Exactly. <laughs> Ferality. Ferality. Nice. <laughs> Ferality. <laughs> Megaphonality. No, I think ferality works. Ferality. Nah, I've said it to me. Ferality. All right. Uh, I'm going to skip the Lego stuff. All right, because that brings us on to the other big, the other big, uh, 
bit of science and probably our last topic tonight. Yep. Which is about LK99, the 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 miracle substance that people thought would finally give us room temperature superconductors. Uh-huh. And it turns out that even at those super cold temperatures, it's not actually a superconductor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You don't say. But attempts at replicating the superconductivity of LK99 allowed scientists to figure out why the material acted like superconductors in some ways. So that's that's pretty neat. So I I came across this. It's in it's in Nature. Ah, Nature. Uh, the ma- the magazine, not not like outside, right? <laughs> like you don't have to touch grass for this. You just have to like read the article. Is it Nature the and Nudist magazine or Nature the Scientific? Uh, Nature the Science okay. magazine. Not Nate. Not Naturist. Not Naturist. No. So yeah. So LK99, let's start off by by defining what it is for people who don't know or just like they've heard of it, but they don't know what it actually is. It's a compound of copper, lead, phosphorus, and oxygen. And so it, tur- it turns out that the, that the drops in electrical resistivity and the partial levitation around magnets which are which are things that which are things that are observed with superconductors is due to impurities in the material. So like a a pure mix of the compounds that cr- that produce LK99 would probably not show these features. It's because there are there are impurities uh, generally sulfur uh, copper sulfide that ca- that causes it to appear to be a superconductor with regard to these properties. Uh, I want to back up a second, try to explain, give some context for people who might not know the what LK99 was. Uh, just briefly, there was some, uh, there were guys from South Korea who said they had this material they called LK99, which it, it, they were reporting that it looked to be a room temperature superconductor. And there's sort of two things we have to discuss uh, if you want to understand what that means. The first is, what is a superconductor? And uh, what's the significance of being room temperature? And I think if you answer one, you answer the other. So there's all kinds of materials exhibit conduction. And at a uh, kind of chemical level, what you're talking about is if there's free electrons in the valence shell of that material. And if there are, then there's the ability for some electron flow, which, which is opposite of traditional current. Traditional current's actually the absence of electrons flowing, but it's a different topic, um, which would allow an elect- what, what an electric current actually is, is the motion of these um, either they're charge carriers. So they're either electrons or holes, depending on which way that you, uh, you imagine the flow going. And anyway, there's the, it's never without resistance. So we talk about Ohm's law, you have, um, voltages applied across some material. There's a current that's, that's flowing, uh, across it because of the voltage, if it's a conductor, and then you'll find out that there's a ratio between those two, which is the resistance. And you'll find out higher resistance things while for the same voltage, you get less current. And Mm -hmm. there's some situations where you just, you, you don't want to have a lot of, um, resistance because you want to have the, um, 
you know, sort of most efficient use of your potential energy. And if you have resistance, one of the things that's happening is some of the potential en energy from the voltage you're applying is being used up to heat up the material. So you have not just electrons moving across from valence shell to valence shell, but they're um, there's a potential of them sort of colliding with each other is the best way that I might be able to say it where, and they, they lose a little energy cause they're not moving in a straight line. They're actually swerving all over the place. And every time they bump into each other, there's, uh, there's some heat generated. That's not a perfect way of explaining it, but maybe it gets, gets you it, to visualize helps, the right sort of thing. Why, it helps us explain why a room temperature semi or not semi a room temperature superconductor would be amazing for power grids because we could just move all all the nuclear reactors and coal plants and everything to Australia and have <laughs> lines running from there to all the other continents, right? Which would free up the space on on like the rest of the continents where we've had power plants. Yep. And we wouldn't have any line loss. Yep. There's and so yeah, line loss is the key word. It's if I have a wire that's uh that's a mile long and I and I'm trying to power a light bulb on the other end of it, um, you, you need proportionally more voltage. Because and, yeah. and you find out that that the wire itself has some amount of loss per meter or whatever. And so yeah, because because even even like like there's always some resistance and with uh, with like non superconducting materials. So we have a situation on regular matter where you know these electrons are bumping into each other. Let's say and uh, just to stick with that. Uh, simplification, which isn't quite the reality of it, but it gets you in the right space. Uh, when you cool, when you chill the temperature, uh, w when you're at room temperature, there is currents that are that are on the surface of a conductor, even when there's no voltage involved. There's 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 electrons that are all out of line. They're all out of order because they're all wiggling around because they're hot. And when you cool them down, they yeah. all stay in line, and so you can get um, basically. Imagine electrons marching in single file down a wire with no deviations. What I you know? no, what I how I vision it is like is like uh, city roads versus an expressway, right? So at room temp room temperature, regular conducting materials, right? You've got all this traffic going in different directions, and you got like the traffic lights and everything. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're able to go at the speed limit. Uh, on the like between the intersections, you're still stopping all the time and letting other traffic go by. But you're on the expressway, right? You're on the fucking autobahn, right? You're on the electron autobahn now on a superconductor, and you're just fucking whipping down, right? Nothing in your way. Yep. There's no cross traffic. Maybe that's the key. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so one of the keys is you get rid of the cross traffic by cooling the material down. And superconductors exist now. Uh, they use them in particle accelerators. That's the main thing I'm familiar with. Um, because in a particle accelerator, you need a really high magnetic field. It turns out to get a really high magnetic field, uh, you need to have a really high current. And because currents that are on resistive material, non-superconducting material, that cause a little bit of heat. What happens is when you get the current high enough to make the field you want, the damn wire melts. So you have to, it, and you're cooling it not just to um, stop it from melting, it's it's the act of cooling it actually brings the resistance down to zero. And I'm talking really mm -hmm. cold. You're, you're using um, helium and dilution coolers and stuff that bring it down to like the, I think it's the millikelvin range, maybe, maybe I'll 
eat my foot on that one. But, it's, but, it's, defi- it's definitely it's definitely like uh, colder than the uh, colder than space. Mm. Uh, I believe I believe they say that uh, that space, thanks to the cosmic microwave background radiation, is around five degrees Kelvin. Yeah, uh, and, five, so that's and, the and, background. Yeah. So, yeah. I think and fourteen. In the case, 14 in the case of like, and I think the case of like, say, like the LHC, you're bringing things down to like two or three degrees Kelvin. Yeah, it's definitely low. Maybe maybe it's not quite the milli Calvin range. We we do have coolers that go down that though, that low though. Um, anyway, um, the the bottom line is it would be really convenient for a lot of things if you could have a cheap superconductor <laughs> that you could put everywhere. And it turns out this it is just well, it bunk. doesn't need to be a it doesn't even need to be a cheap one. It just needs to be something that something that is a uh, superconductor at uh, room temperature and sea level uh, air pressure yeah don't do no good if you can't afford it (laughs) but anyway um maybe that's the science lesson i don't know have we have we arrived is there any more to say on it i don't think there's any more to say on it one of the largest losses of helium which is expensive gas was at the large hadron collider uh when they actually had a failure inside their superconducting uh system on the track and because they use all this uh, the gas is used to, to um, I think they turn it into a liquid at that point, but it's... Um, yeah, it's a liquid at that point. It's a liquid at that point, but they had a, a runaway where somehow they lost the superconducting property of the of the, um, the field generator that they were working on. And so it stopped being superconductive while they had a current in it. And suddenly this thing, which you could put a shitload of, of um, amp- amperes through, and it wouldn't heat up, suddenly started heating up, and then it started boiling off the helium, and then it blew up the tank, or it blew up the enclosure, and then it, and then all of it vented out, and uh, oh, it was God. this huge, I mean, just, just, first, the loss of noble gases, you know, is, they're hard to replace, them. helium's hard to replace, there's a whole thing about that, but yeah, just helium the is, helium's, I mean, the other, the other noble gases are probably easier to replace, because because as bigger atoms, right? You can there's more options for for making them when we have fusion, and and they're also just more readily available, right? But, yeah. Whereas hel- whereas helium, the only the only real way, like I don't think there's any decay chains leading to stable he- helium, and so that means to produce it, you're essentially throwing hydrogen atoms at each other until they until they like agree to you know make out and become helium atoms yeah man this is cool i'm reminded now oh geez this story about iphones and helium wow that's a whole deep rabbit hole i just remember that yeah this this is the other reason this is the other reason why why fusion is such a uh, is such like a big topic in in physics in energy physics because it's not just about being able to generate electricity from stuff that's natural in and turning into stuff that's natural well i mean uranium is natural but you know what i mean right right like non non radioactive products to other non radioactive products it's because that also gives us the ability to do this sort of atomic alchemy and so down the road right we start off we start off bombarding 
hydrogen atoms into each other to create helium, but down the road we can we can like combine other atoms into bigger ones all the way up to iron, right? I want to just point something out. You said you didn't think any radioactive decay produced helium. I was wrong. Yeah, um, I think everyone does because the helium nucleus is one of the, um, it's an alpha particle. It's a double yeah, ionized but, helium. I mean, but what you, I what mean, I'm saying, the, it all produces the hydrogen, helium, get it? The hydrogen, the hydrogen atom is even simpler. Right, but I'm just, I'm just being pedantic here. Every radioactive decay, except beta decays, uh, alpha decays produce, everyone produces helium, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> alpha, isn't alpha like... Just the just the nucleus, yeah. Without the without the electrons, I can right? pick up an electron somewhere else. So Still what helium. you need to do is cre- is like is like have some sort of alpha emitter uh, shooting like shooting its beam through like a huge electron <laughs> field, right? Uh, we should get ice that hawk doesn't to work sound on that. Too, that doesn't sound too cheap either. <laughs> we should get ice hawk to uh, to uh, work on that. <laughs> I should I should bring this I should bring this concept up to him and just like next time I see him in person and just like you know have a camera going in slow like recording thousand frames a second so you can catch his face palm in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough science talk for today. I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, I think I think we've nerded out the audience. We've got a we've got a we ran long and we've got a long post show too, so it's gonna be one of yep. those days. You don't wanna wake up. Everything's fucked. Everybody sucks. Ah! <laughs> according, according to that song. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I've been Abel Kirby. I've been called acid. Uh, stay fruity, boys. Adios. I had a good woman. But she laid down, honey, and died. Oh, I had a good woman. But she laid down and died. Don't you know everybody tell me she wasn't 